announcements. They do go over some of the announcements for the week. Today is the day for the Villa Valencia outreach. There's information in the foyer about it, but we put on a church service for the patients there at Villa Valencia, the senior citizens who live over there, and, and then go around and visit people and talk with them. So if that's something that you'd like to involve yourself in, today's a great day to make it your first time and see if it doesn't bless you. It's a great opportunity. The Wisdom Seekers Ministry meets today at 2 o'clock in the prayer room, and Jerry Hill will be sharing, so they'll be over there at 2. You're welcome to attend that ministry. Our college and career fellowship called RISE uh, meets every Sunday at 7 p.m. in the fellowship hall. So if you're in the 20 to 30 age range, you're invited to come on out for that. They have a great time. I, I was there a couple weeks ago, and it's a, it's a real neat group, and I know you'll enjoy it. Men's ministry will be meeting this week on Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, and then our couples marriage ministry will have the meeting that same day, Saturday the 7th at 6 o'clock in the evening up in the fellowship hall, and the marriage group is having a potluck. And so there are flyers out in the foyer that will tell you that everyone brings a main dish to share, and then if your name starts with A through M, you bring a salad, and if your last name starts with N through Z, you bring desserts. Now, if I was planning it, I would say, if your name starts with A through B, bring a salad. Everyone else bring a dessert, but I obviously didn't plan it. But do sign up in the foyer if you'd like to go to that. We just had our marriage retreat this weekend, and, and it was a great time. And so if you miss that, I'm sure they'll be having the tapes of the sessions available in the tape room uh, at least by next week for sure. I don't know if they're there today. You can check. Um, also, the Singles Fellowship meets today at 4.30 over in the overflow room, the classroom next to the little foyer over on the other side. And so um, you're invited to come on out for that at 4.30 and bring your favorite concordance or study guide, and they're studying through 1 Timothy chapter 4. Snacks will be provided, so um, I'd like to invite anyone who's single or anyone else who just likes to hang out with single people, go on over for that today at 4.30. And uh, that group is going to be beginning October 15th. They're going to start meeting at the Greenwoods home on the first and third Sundays from 4.30 to 7. So there's an insert today, I guess, that'll give you that information as well. Also next Sunday, the 8th, uh, we're having a children's church appreciation lunch. All teachers, workers, helpers, and their families for children's ministry. We're having a special lunch for you next Sunday after second service in the fellowship hall, so please come out for that. And the bookstore is in its final week of the inventory reduction sale. We don't have room to have a store over at the other church. We'll probably have a few books and things available, but not like we do here. So right now, the bookstore, everything is 50% off. And that'll be this today, Wednesday, and next Sunday. Next Sunday is the last day to go in there and grab what you want. Um, and so just to make you aware of that, that's a great opportunity. Also, if you have extra boxes, we're packing over the next few weeks. And so um, if you have boxes, if you can flatten those out and drop them off here over at the little the small foyer on the other side and, and or just leave them out there and we'll get them in and... Uh, you know, that's a, that's a help, certainly, also. If you want to help in any way and in the move and things that are going on, I know we have some 
guys who are trained in some of the skills and, and, and some of you just are willing to chip in and help. And if you're available, we have a sign-up sheet out in the foyer and you can put your name and phone number and the hours that you might be available to help, what you'd be available to do because we want this transition to go as smoothly as possible. So whatever, whatever you want to do, we'll have plenty of opportunities for you to get involved over the next few weeks. And so put your name and phone number on that sheet, and, and then Jeff and Steve can get a hold of you, and you can be a part of the team as we convert from this facility to the other one. It's, we've been working like crazy on it, but it's just really exciting. God has done so many neat things. We're looking forward to having it over with. <laughs> and then because the move is happening right before the end of the month, we won't be doing a Halloween alternative for our church. However, Compass Bible Church, the church who's going to be taking over our facility, they're doing a big, I mean, it looks better than anything that we would ever dream of doing. And they've invited us to participate. And so I see a flyer here. It has a map. They won't do it here on the grounds because we're going to be cleaning up the building and everything, but, but they're doing it at the Jewish synagogue where they have been meeting, and it's just right down here on Journey, I think it is, Liberty. And so you can get the map, and, and they would love for us to participate from five to nine. Lots of candy, that's the magic word. Speaking of which, if you'd like to chip in, buy a few bags of those little candy bars next time you're at the store and throw them in the foyer, and we'll get them over to them and participate. But they're going to have an Orbitron, whatever that is, a giant obstacle course, bomber swing ride, rock climbing wall, whippo whirl, batting cage, pony rides, merry-go-round, sunshine express train, game booths, and much more. So even next year, we might just participate with them. <laughs> Why reinvent the wheel, you know? But I think that's all the announcements. And I hope your week went better than mine, but I'm excited because it's a new week, and I'm looking forward to seeing what God will do this week. Um, had a few little trials during the week and a lot of busy, and so... I like the fact that weeks are only seven days, and then you get a fresh start on Sunday, and that's what I'm doing today. So far, so good. Turn in your Bibles over to the book of Philippians chapter 1. We've begun our study through the book of Philippians, this little letter that Paul wrote from jail. He was in a dungeon in Rome awaiting the trial that would ultimately result in his life most likely being gone. But he was there in prison awaiting his final appeal, and he wrote a letter to his favorite church, Philippi. He had started the church, had just been there for a very short time. He started it when he was imprisoned in Philippi, and God miraculously released him from jail. He led the jailer and his family to the Lord, and with a few other people, they started this little church. Just got off the ground, and Paul was off on the rest of his second missionary journey. He came back one other time on his third missionary journey to visit them. But it, an amazing thing about Philippi is that you see that they are pretty clearly Paul's favorite church. This is also certainly one of my favorite books in the Bible. Because you see that even though they're apart, the church in Philippi up there in northeastern Greece was experiencing some persecution and going through difficulties. And here Paul is off in Rome with problems of his own. And the church in Philippi had continued to support him. 
sent him Epaphroditus, one of their best, to help him. Sent Timothy there as well, who they knew and had helped them in Philippi. And they were supporting him financially like no other church. They supported him regularly, and no one else was doing that. Of all the churches that he ministered to, Philippi, they were the faithful ones. And we'll read a lot about that as we go through the letter. But the thing that I love about this book is the theme of the book, and that is joy and rejoicing in the Lord. And that's a funny theme to have when you're a prisoner writing to persecuted Christians and you're saying, woohoo, cheer up. Man, there's joy. But boy, do we need that in our lives because things happen that don't automatically bring joy to us. We find ourselves going through difficulties sometimes, times of trial and stress, and how can we have that joy that is our strength working within our lives while we're in the middle of difficulty? We can learn this from Paul as he shares with the Philippians his message. And as we go through the book, we're going to see many clues as to how our lives can be different, our attitudes can be productive and positive and, and full of joy even when we're going through trials. And so I love that. But here in the verses, couple verses we're going to look at today, we see not only that joy that he talks about while he prays for them, but as he last week talked to us about the fact that I am confident, I'm persuaded that God isn't finished with you yet. He has begun a good work in you and he's going to complete it. But now he flows out of that statement that we read last week. And he says, even though we're apart, we are so close. And that's a great thing for us to be able to experience in our lives. A closeness, even when there's a distance. To feel so close. It's really all about, and I've entitled this message, Together. Because we see a picture here of how you can be as close as you can be, even when there are times when you aren't physically together. And it gives us ideas as to the kinds of relationships that God wants us to have as children of God. So let's read, and well, we'll start with verse 6 that we focused on last week. He says, being persuaded or confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it or perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And then in verse 70, he explains kind of why he has that confidence. He says, just as it is right. That word there is a word that's usually translated just or fair. He's like saying, this is only logical. It's right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection, literally the bowels, of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I have this perspective where I know that God is going to finish what he started in you, and it's the most logical thing in the world for me. That confidence flows together with the idea that I'm so close to you that you are in my heart. You're in my heart, Paul quoting Rod Stewart. But 
that, that phrase for, you know, as he says here, me to think this of you because I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart is an ambiguous phrase in the Greek. And commentators argue back and forth because you could translate this, I have you in my heart, or you can translate it, you have me in your heart. And experts differ as to which it should be. Linguistically, there's no difference. Grammatically, either one would be equal. You could take them like this. Now, for Paul to say, I have you in my heart, says one thing. But for him to say, I know you have me in your heart, that's a little different. But in reality, I don't think it matters because the truth is, if you have someone in your heart, it touches them in a way that causes them to have you in their heart. And he's saying, that's how close we are. That's... That's why I have this confidence, and it works both ways. You know, there are some times when we believe the best about someone, and we believe what he told us last week in verse 6, I know that God has done a good thing in you, and I know he's going to finish it. But there are other times when we lose faith in people, when we lose faith in God ultimately, and we essentially say, I don't think God is going to complete what he started in you. I think he's done with you. I think he's had it. You will never change. One of the hardest things to hear someone say to you is, I don't think you're ever going to change. You were this way when we met. You've been this way over and over again, and there you go. You're still the same. It's a cruel thing to communicate But not only that, it's a devastating thing to hear. Because the truth is, all the time, I want to give up on myself. I look at myself and I just go, am I ever going to get there? Am I ever going to become the kind of person that God wants me to be? Am I going to continue to say things I shouldn't say, to hurt people I don't intend to hurt? Am I ever going to quit intending to hurt some people? And it's like, I get discouraged. And sometimes I just feel like, you know what? I can't do this. Life isn't working so well. And most of us, if we're paying attention, at one time or another, we feel like giving up on ourselves. But that's why we need each other. That's partly what fellowship is all about. Because when I'm about to give up on myself, I need someone to do what Paul did for the Philippians and say, listen, trust me. I am persuaded. I'm confident that I have seen God start good things in you, and I know he won't give up on you. I believe that God is going to finish and perfect that which he started. I've seen the early marks of a masterpiece as God is working in your life, and I know that you're going to become something absolutely wonderful and beautiful. And I believe in you more than you believe in you. And we've all had people come along for us at a time when we needed it the most that said, you know, even if you don't believe you can do it, I believe you can do it. You hope that as parents, that's what you can do for your kids. You know, a lot of times, you know, kids don't think much of what their parents think of them because they think that as parents, you have to believe in them. And you have to pretend like they're really great at everything. And as you encourage them, they feel like, well, it doesn't really matter. Of course, my dad thinks I'm beautiful. Of course, my mom thinks I'm handsome, but, and that's a good thing, that's important, but there's something really sad, and I don't care how old you are, if your parent gives up on you, 
If your parents somehow, and some of you went through this at a really young age, sad to say, that you just sensed, even my parents don't really believe in me anymore. Even they don't see potential. They used to talk about the potential that I was wasting, and now I think I've convinced them that potential isn't even there. But how important it is that we continue to believe. And it's not that we have confidence in people. It's we have confidence in God. That's what persuades us. God isn't finished with you. There are times when we have friends who go through tough circumstances, sometimes because of their own sin. They do things that are devastating to everyone around them. They're damaging themselves. Often, they're sitting there with this pile of a mess that they've made of their life. And the temptation is to to take them back in history and help them to see how they messed their own life up. But listen, when you're sitting there with your life in a heap, when you're sitting there having thrown away everything that that you thought was valuable to you, boy, how you need someone to come along and say, you know what, it's not over yet. It's not done. God's not finished. I am confident that God can still do a great work in your life. (laughs) And we can do that for each other. And that's what Paul is doing here. Hey, maybe you guys are discouraged, but listen, you're in my heart. I'm in your heart. We are close, and I believe. And it's the only fair thing for me to do to tell you, God isn't through with you yet. Your better days are ahead of you. And as we look on down through the verse, I have you in my heart, in as much as, or I'm explaining it this way, both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So as I've been suffering as a prisoner and as I've been defending the faith, the word there is the word from which we get apologetics. And he says, and and confirmation or solidifying, putting together in a solid way, confirming the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. That word for partakers there, it's an interesting word. We talk about, when we talk about being together, we often refer to the word fellowship, being together closely with someone. And the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. comes from a word that means common. It's like you're sharing, that's what koinonia is. Well, this word here that is translated in our version, partakers, when we think of partakers, we think, yeah, you got a little piece. But the word there is the word koinonia, this common fellowship. But it has a prefix in front of it, soon, which also means together, tightly, knit, woven together, glued together. And what he's saying here is, we have had this super fellowship Through the hard times that we've been through, we've drawn together and we have been knit together, stuck together, glued together by being partakers, receivers of His grace. Now, the fact that I need God's grace and you need God's grace, that should cause us to realize we have the greatest thing in common because grace is what we need the most. When we become divided from others, it's when we decide that I want God's grace, but I don't want you to have it. I want God to go easy on me, but I want him to go hard on you because you need it. It's understanding we're all in the same boat. 
understanding that we all have a desperate need to be fixed. It helps us to realize, boy, with whatever else we have in common or don't have in common, we sure have this. We're all pretty messed up. He's not done with any of us yet. He hasn't finished any of us. And with everything that we've gone through, we all have the need for the same grace. If we, if we realize that kind of super fellowship, then we understand that, you know, I can't set myself off as better or worse than anyone else. I can't point the finger and I can't judge because I realize, hey, we're all sitting at the same fountain of grace and it's amazing grace. And if it's going to happen for any of us, it happens for all of us. And with whatever we go through, we need that grace. As soon as I start to think that you need more grace than me, our fellowship is broken. The same thing that happens is what happens when I give up on you or you give up on me and just go, it's hopeless. There's that tear. There's a wall. There's a, there's a sense of loss, of surrendering, of giving up that absolutely devastates and destroys what God wants to do in our lives. Now, sometimes we're away from someone we love. Figuratively, literally, sometimes it seems like they've checked out. Other times, they're in a whole different place than we are. Or physically, they're off in another area of the country or the world. That was the situation that Paul was in. And yet he's going, you know what? You can be a long ways away from me, but I know that God is going to work in your life and finish what he started, and I am insistent. I am holding you in my heart, and what we go through, we will go through together in fellowship. We need the same grace, and then finally, as he says in verse 8, God is my witness. The word there in the Greek is martyr, martyros, the same word that we get martyr from. Hey, God will tell you. How greatly I long. That's one word that's put together to mean I really, really am just achingly longing for you all with the affection or literally with the bowels of Jesus Christ. He's basically saying because of this relationship of fellowship that we have, sometimes it just hurts me physically in my gut. It's... It's so deep, God is the only one who can witness of it because it's inside. I, I really care. I really want to have you in my heart, to be in yours, to be close to you. It's a longing that can only come as Jesus Christ gives it to us, as he passes this love off. There are times in your life when you've been so in love with something that you could really feel it in your stomach. Maybe it was, a, maybe it was your spouse Maybe it was a special car or a big win or whatever it was. But he says, God is my witness. There's this love that God has given me that's just churning in my stomach. It's making me feel bad in a good way. I really, really care about you guys. And again, as a witness, and this is how you can have joy when you're apart from someone you love. And this is how you can love someone when you're going through a hard time. And this is how you can live in a sort of a bubble of love and joy, the fruit of the Spirit, no matter what is happening around you, is to remember that God is going to finish what He started. Don't give up. And then to hold people in your heart to become close to them. 
to go through hard times and suffering with them. You know, when you go through a tough time, when you go through chains, it'll do one of two things. It will either draw you closer together or it'll make you move further apart. And I've seen both. It can happen a lot. Kind of reminds me of that story of the guy who it was coming to the end of his life and he was about to die and his dear old wife was with him there at the side of the bed and he began to reminisce and he said, Mabel, you've always been there for me. I remember when we first met and I was going through such a hard time fighting my way through school and there you were always by my side. And then later when we got married and we had children and the kids were sick and and things were going wrong and they were messed up and boy, you were there. And then I went and joined the army and went off to fight in a war and you came with me. You became a nurse. You were there when I was wounded on the battlefield. You were there nursing me back to health alongside me. And then later when our business failed, there you were with me. I got cancer, and I'm really sick and struggling, and here I am on my bedside, and you're still here by my side. He said, Mabel, you're bad luck. (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) But that's sometimes how we can react. We're going through a tough time, and so we look for somebody to blame. Whoever's the closest, it must be you. It must be your fault. And, And the other alternative is to say, man, are we going through a tough time? We better stick together. We better hang on to each other like never before. And I, and I see people every day going through hard times. And some of them, I see it draws them together. Others, I see it pulls them apart. And that's a choice, to either allow God to do that work or to not. Some of the people in the world that I'm the closest to are people that I've gone through really hard things with. Just this morning, first service as it was starting, I saw a girl with her parents walk in. Her name's Kelly Overby, and her parents come here all the time. She comes here periodically. And Kelly was a kid who, as a senior in high school, was just one of the most phenomenal athletes I had ever seen. But she got sick when she was off visiting the Air Force Academy, and they sent her home. And when I got the call in the middle of the night, it looked like she wasn't going to make it. She was in the hospital. Her body was shutting down. Her mom was back visiting her sister in Chicago, and her dad was in the hospital falling apart. And I sat there all night with them, and it was like, what do you say? What do you do? But she made it through that, and boy, she was still sick and ended up with a, you know, having a transplant and doing all But she was there in Hogue Hospital for, seemed like, close to a year. And there wasn't anything I could do to make her feel better, but You know, I would just go in there every day, take an hour at lunch or whatever, and I would just go hang out with her. And Kelly, who's in great health today, she was here for a service, and she's training to be a PE teacher, so she's doing fine. But at that time, it was hard to have hope. So I didn't know what to do, so I just, we just played. I sat there, she has heard every story that I have ever told, (laughs) every joke I have ever heard, however offensive they are or anything else, she heard it. And then she told me all of her stories. And I had never seen Seinfeld. She recited every one of them to me. I taught her how to pick locks while we were in there. I gave her her own switchblade and brass knuckles. And, you know, people in the hospital looked and, hmm. But, you know, mostly we just hung out. 
I just, that was all I could do. But it's weird because ever since then, sometimes I'll go six months without seeing Kelly. But when we see each other, it's like we see each other every day. She's forever in my heart and I'm in hers. We talked about it one day that it's so funny that we don't have to worry about, well, I wonder if Kelly still likes me or I wonder if Dave still cares about me. No, we got that done with when the chains were there. And going through all of that, it cements you together in a way that you're not dependent on small talk to maintain relationship. There's just a closeness that happens from, from suffering and going through it together. And that's, that's what Paul's talking about. Paul had only spent probably a few days in Philippi, but he knew these people because they kept in touch, they supported him, he loved them, and they understood that. And that's what God wants for us. That's what he wants for us in, a, in an increasing size of concentric circles of relationship as well. Think about this, what he's saying, and apply it to different relationships that we have in our lives. I mentioned already and talked about marriage, but that's a good one. Because two people who are together in marriage, first of all, if you give up on each other, just hang it up. It's over. But if you say, I know God, and because I know God, I know he isn't finished with you, and no matter what's happening, I believe that he is going to finish what he started. To be that person, to remind each other, God has done good, and he isn't finished. How important that is. And to draw closer together, even in trials, to hold each other in our hearts, to, to have our spouse be the most important one for us, to, to just be there and to learn that closeness. It's a process. It's not easy. It takes time. But to commit ourselves to that's the goal, that's what God is moving us towards, and that's what I want us to be. That's so important. And to understand, you know, I know you need grace, but I know I do too. We have one thing in common. We're both a mess, and we need God's grace. And to do that and ultimately then to see it become such a part of us that we, that we love from the gut, that's ideally, that's what marriage is. That's what it's supposed to be. But expand the circle a little bit and include your children. And how does that relationship work? Are you committed to never giving up on your kids? Are you kids committed to not giving up on your parents? I talked a little bit about the pain of when your parents give up on you, but I think it's probably just as bad. feels worse because you're older when your kids give up on you and just decide, I'm done with you. You're not ever going to become what a parent's supposed to be. And yet if we realize, you know, we all need grace. I may not be good at being a, a kid and you're not good at being a parent, so let's bind together when the times are tough and, and let's try to maintain that commitment of relationship and that closeness. It expands further to your circle of friends. Do people know that when they're down, that you'll be there for them, that you'll believe in them, that you'll believe the best about their future, that you'll hold them in your heart, that you'll draw closer to them when the times are tough? Are you that kind of a friend? We all need that. We all need to experience that. It's just the way it is. It's the way we're built. Expand it a little further to the church. I, you know, as Paul's talking about, you know, I have you in my heart. 
I understand as a pastor what that means, to just care about people and to know that they care about you. And as I've been here for, you know, just a while over four years, four and a half years, something like that, it's amazing how attached you can get to a group of people and to feel that mutual grace and that mutual support that's here. I'll be honest with you, when I first came to this church, I mean, I, I was impressed with certain people, but when people that I knew from Calvary, Costa Mesa, and other places would come and visit, they would tell me, well, it's a different culture down there in South Orange County, isn't it? And I, well, what do you mean? They go, those people are so cliquish. It felt like I came in, but I didn't know anybody, and nobody really wanted to know me. And, and they go, I don't know, you just feel kind of left out. And I felt so bad because that's so far from what I would want our church to be. But there's been this work of God's Spirit over the years. And now I hear just the opposite. When people come and visit our church, they go, man, I can't believe how friendly those people are. A bunch of different people. You had the official greeters, but there were all these unofficial greeters that were just coming up and talking to us and sharing with us and, and offered to pray with us. And they said, I've never been in such a friendly place. And when I hear that, you, you have no idea how much that means to me because it reminds me that God is working in our midst, in our church. Getting a new building is kind of a dopey little thing, really. Overall, having a building isn't that huge of, a, of an important issue. But I know that God opened the door to do that, and it's always been something that I've had a desire just because of the stewardship of wasting money on rent. But, you know, as that began to happen, it, it, I wasn't thinking, oh, good, now I get a smaller office, you know, or something like that. It, it was, and more work. But what I was feeling is, wow, people stepped forward and gave money and they're offering time and help and, and we're coming together as a group to accomplish a goal. And I felt so validated, like, God, people really are supporting what we're doing here. And they really want to be a part of it. And I, I can't even explain to you not only how important that is to me, but just what an incredible blessing it is to feel that kind of support. And that's what we should all be doing. That should be the goal of our lives in all of our circles of relationship, is to make each other feel accepted. Beyond our church, there are a lot of other churches out there. You know that. Many of you have been bouncing around between them for years. But, you know, what is our relationship with other churches? One of the cool things about preparing to move is there's a church, Compass Bible Church, that hasn't had a permanent facility for a long time. And we are working with them, and they're going to come in and take over this facility. So they'll get all of our Christmas and Easter people who don't even know we moved. And <laughs> it's like, hey, that's great. But it's been cool because these are guys who love God. They do some things differently than we do. There are some cultural distinctions, but... It's been so cool to be involved with another part of the body of Christ and going, hey, let us help you and you help us. And the teamwork has been amazing. It's been great. And the Lord has knit us together with that church in a real special way. Amazing thing is a whole lot of people in that church used to go to this church years ago and got upset for one reason or another and left. And here now they're coming back into the building and, boy, having a, dealing with a lot of memories from the past. And there's a lot of healthy things that are happening. But how do we... See, there are a lot of different kinds of churches. And 
you don't hear me, I hope, knocking down other churches and saying, some churches do this and that's wrong and some churches do this and that's wrong. My commentary on what church ought to be is our church. And I can't make it everything I want it to be. God has to do that work. But what I'm just trying to do is to do church in the way that I think God wants us to do church. But I don't want to have my distinctives become just distinctives, where, where I'm like alienating myself from everyone else and just saying, here's what's wrong with that church, and let me warn you about that church. If I do that, I break the fellowship that God wants us to have. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Now, there may be a church that, you know, and, and every once in a while I get in trouble because I'll talk about some other church in the area, maybe that's a really large and successful church, and I'll say, I'm thankful to God for what he's doing in that church. And then inevitably I'm hit with emails and calls of people who are saying, well, do you know that their pastor is really influenced by the new age? Do you know that all they're doing is compromising, watering down the gospel in order to get people to show up so he can be a celebrity and sell books and blah, blah, blah. And it's like everyone's telling me, acting like I have no discernment, and if I was really a Christian, I would be ripping on what God is doing in another church. But here's the thing. I see God working. And I look at another church, I don't care what the church is, and if I can see a shred of what God has started, I want to believe that he will finish what he started. And, and that's the way we should be as the body of Christ. Oh, man, uh, several months back when Pastor Chuck and I went and had lunch with the, the president of Brigham Young University and the head of the theology department there to talk about Mormonism, I was amazed. As we talked to them, I could see changes that are happening within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they're disavowing some of the goofy things that they used to teach. And I'm seeing good things happening, and I shared that with a few people. And man, here came the anti-Mormon missionaries just, you don't know what you're talking. These are people who devote their lives to witnessing to Mormons and have never led any of them to the Lord. But they're like, you're wrong. You can't say anything nice about the Mormons. They're terrible. I, I choose. I make this choice. And I, and I mean, frankly, I'll be honest with you. If you're a member of, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there are a lot of things that you believe and that are being taught to you that aren't according to the Scriptures. And so I deeply care about you not believing the wrong stuff. But at the same time, I am just optimistically, wildly optimistic enough to believe that God can take that seed of good that He sees there and He can turn this into something amazing. He did it with the Worldwide Church of God. They were what many would, most would brand as a cult. And now they're an evangelical denomination who have lined their teachings up with Scripture. God can do that. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that He will. And if that makes me a heretic or, you know, that I'm playing into their hands or whatever, fine, take your shots. But I would rather look out there and see, God, where are you doing something? And if you're doing something right... I'm going to believe that you're going to finish what you've started. And if there's suffering that goes on, I want to hold these people in my heart. I don't want walls to be built. I don't want to be alienated to push myself away from anyone in whom God is working. Whether it's my family, my friends, my church, or other churches or other religions even. And 
man, I, I want to see God finish what he started. And Jesus Christ came to this world because God loved the world. And I don't want to limit how much he is going to do in order to bring people into an awareness of his son, Jesus Christ, and do that saving, powerful work. No one will be saved apart from believing in Jesus Christ. I'm convinced of that. But at the same time, I believe that there are a lot of people who are way different than I am who are joint partakers, fellowshippers supernaturally with the grace of God. I need the same grace that they need. And that allows me to identify with them and to hold them in common. Then we have places all over the world where they've never even heard the gospel. We send missionaries out in order to reach people who are desperately needing of help. Many of them are starving, not the missionaries usually. Almost a billion people in this world are starving right now. Do we care or is it like, well, they're way over there? Hey, these are those who should be in our hearts as well. These are those that we should be reaching out to with the gospel, the good news. You guys, we're all partakers of grace. You can receive Jesus Christ too. You can know him personally. He can turn your life around. Are we willing to do that? Does that even matter to us? Do we care? Do we go, they're way over in Philippi. I'm here in Rome. Not going to worry about it. Our church has missionaries all over different places in the world. When was the last time you thought about just letting them know that you know they're there? You know, and we love our missionaries and we support them, and every once in a while they come back for a while and we go, hey, it's great, it's good to see them, you know, but when they do the potluck for them, I don't know if I'm going to go because I don't want to get really close to them and then I'll feel bad when they leave. I'll miss them. (laughs) And so we kind of sometimes throw them a bone and the same people all the time get involved and try to minister to them, but for most of us, do we, do we even realize how, how good it would feel to get a letter from somebody you don't know halfway around the world who says, you know, I've been praying for you, and I believe that God's doing great things in your ministry. I believe that what he started is going to develop into something very, very significant, and you are in my heart. Though you're off in a different place, speaking a different language, I'm with you. I want to be close to you. I love you. I I care about you. How hard is it to do that? You know, we have cards out there on the missions board. The addresses are there. Most cases, the email addresses are there. Five minutes of your time, and you might keep somebody in the game because they feel like, I've lost it. I'm falling apart. It's not working the way I thought it was, and I wonder if God even knows what he's doing. And then they hear a a voice coming from somewhere else that says, hey, you're in my heart. I want you to know that. I believe that God isn't finished with you. I believe that he can still finish the work that he started. I care about you deeply. You're, You're one of us. You are a part of us. To do that, it's not a lot of effort, but it makes a huge amount of difference in people's lives. If you've ever been off in the military, If you've ever been away from everyone else, you know how much that little note from home can mean. And we have that chance. And for the price of a, I don't know, I buy stamps by the roll. What are they, 37 cents now or 39 cents or something? How how much is that to pay to let somebody who you are linked to eternally, to let them know that you're thinking of them, that they matter to you, they're important? 
And then there are so many other ministries that God is working in, too, groups like Voice of the Martyrs, Campus Crusaders, they take the Jesus film all over the world, Wycliffe Bible Translators, the Seed Company, as they translate the Bible into individual dialects so that somebody can hear from God in the same language that their mother sang lullabies to them. And it's like, hey, that's a part of us. That's the body. And we should be linked to them intimately and closely. We should be praying for them and letting them know that we support them. We should be willing once in a while to just give up on some stupid thing that we're going to buy. Just don't supersize it for a few days and, and send some money off to something that'll, where it'll really make a difference. And if you take this paradigm that Paul is suggesting, you'll discover how many different levels of love that you can have. I think it's partly what Paul was probably referring to in Ephesians when he prayed that they would be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and depth and height of his love. Our love is expanded when we share with others, when we get together with others, when we fellowship, when we're drawn together, even through suffering, we're bound together in a powerful way. And amazingly, it's one of the keys to joy. Knowing that you're not alone, knowing that there are those who support you, knowing that there are those who care about you, knowing that there's a level of sharing and commonness that is there. Oh, the greatest joys of your life will come from having someone doing that for you and you doing that for them, that mutual love and concern. It's why the fruit of the Spirit is love. This is where it comes from. This is how it functions. This is what it looks like. And for us, every day is a choice. Are we going to be those who look at others and say, man, God's not done with you yet. Remember that. He's still working. I can see it. Are we going to be those who, who then, as we care about each other, we hold people in our hearts and we let them know, hey, even when we're apart, man, we're close. And if you're going through something, I'll go through it with you. I'll be right there with you. You can count on me because we all need grace. We all need grace. And to do that will lead to a love that sinks into your gut, makes you feel sick sometimes because there's just the depth of concern that you aren't able to put into words or express. That's how we get to live if we choose. And that life is a life of joy. The other option is everywhere where God builds bridges, we build walls. We just go, I'm going to shut myself off from them because I don't like what they're doing. I'm going to shut myself off from these people because they remind me too much of hard times that I went through, and they were there. Bad luck. I'm going to shut myself off from these because I give up. I don't think they are ever going to change. And as we do that, we put walls in our lives that destroy relationships. And when we destroy relationships, we destroy ourselves. We isolate ourselves to the point where we rot, where we will never experience what God wants us to experience because I've just shut everyone out together, fellowship, koinonia, in common. That's what he offers to us. And Paul shows what happens as a result. He has this church that he hardly knows, that he loves so deeply, 
And he'd gladly give his life for them. And through that, he discovered the joy that you can have too and that I can have in all of our relationships. Let's pray. Lord, we are so sorry for the wasted opportunities. Those times when we stick our head in the sand because life hurts and we just don't want to deal with the hassles of relating with others. Lord, help us to discover true fellowship with those with whom we have a deep commonness of a need for grace. And Lord, give us the optimism whereby we believe that you aren't finished with us and that you aren't finished with those around us. Help us to walk in that intimacy, allowing others into our hearts and then being drawn into their hearts as well. God, we thank you for doing this with us, all the way from heaven, sending your son to die for us. Help us to follow that example and and thus to experience the joy that you promised, the joy that's our strength. And Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.